Comic Scene, the podcast. Episode 8, Classic and Contemporary Review. Welcome to Comic Scene, the podcast, and in this episode I'm talking to David Robertson. Hi David. Hi Phil. How are you doing? Good, thanks for asking me along. Yeah, so uh, can you tell our listeners your background and uh, how you got into comics? Well, uh, I always loved comics since before I can remember anything else, almost. Uh, reading, you know, Spider-Man, Hulk, uh, Dandy, Star Wars, uh, any comics you can think of in the late 70s, early 80s. And um, just uh, loved writing and drawing, so I just it was natural to start doing them as well yeah. uh, at home. And, and I've just carried that on into my adult life. Uh, and uh, nowadays I, I write and draw and self-publish under the name Fred Egg Comics. Uh, Fred Egg, uh, I created him when I was seven. Uh, he was a little egg that came to life and he was called Fred because the Dundee dialect, you would say fried as Fred. <laughs> so that was, uh, I thought that was really clever when I was about seven and I couldn't think of anything better when, once I was an adult and publishing myself. Mm-hmm. Um, so... I, I keep uh, going along and um, I've been doing, trying to get a book, at least one book done every year for the past uh, however many years and most recently I've done uh, one Break the Cake, uh, before that Wild Attracted and um, I've got into the, the world of web comics as well, been doing uh, one called Bell Time, a page a week on that. And, uh, and then I'm, I'm interested in the local history aspect, so I've been doing one on the Tabridge disaster every month. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm sure eventually I'll put both of them into a book when I'm when they're finished. Yeah. I mean, you did bring out uh, a history of comics in Dundee as That's well. right. Yeah. yeah, the Dundee Comics comic that, that I brought out with uh, Universe Comics here at the University of Dundee. Uh, started as my final project on the comics course, uh, and then... And then it was expanded a bit uh, over the course of the next year, once I'd finished and then was was published uh, towards the end of last year. So I was pleased with that. That came out nice as well. So you kind of started off like self-publishing and it was your own work. More Mm -hmm. recently, you've been doing a lot more collaborations, I've noticed. Uh, Well, in terms of um, doing work for other publications, yeah. Yeah. I like to do... I'm always on the lookout for opportunities yeah. Um, and I must say they're out there if anyone wants to do comics and, and how do I get started just get online and start looking for opportunities uh, I mean you're, you're not going to be paid a fortune that's for sure I mean you might not even be paid at all but if you if, if it's an opportunity to do a comic you really want to do I would say go for it and do it uh, it's good experience and um, the way that a lot of these things well all of them that I've done, you you still own it once they've published it. So you can then bring it back into your own thing that you put out yourself. So it's win-win as far as I can see. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting point because I think your work uh, has got a very distinctive voice to it. Would you agree with that? <laughs> well, well, yes. It's difficult to see. You'll know yourself. You do mm. your own work and, and everyone goes, your style, your style. And you're sitting thinking, okay, I mean, I, I can't quite place it, you know. Yeah. But I think everything you do ends up looking like you did it, no matter um, what you try to put into it. So, 
Uh, yeah, it must be distinctive. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think. But I think that's that's a, it's important. Actually, if you're too self-aware and you too, you try to follow a style or ape a style, then yeah. you've got to let the style develop. Essentially. Yeah. You know, I think you can't force that. I did spend most of my teen years trying to turn myself into Al Williamson. <laughs> Didn't because I was so obsessed <laughs> with how fantastic he was. Yeah. And you know, you only ever get. Well, let's face it, you never get anywhere near it. But and then one day, I just, I just thought I've got to let go of this, you know, and just start drawing and see what it looks like when I draw. But <laughs> yeah, we've all we've all been down that route, I think. So um, yeah. And uh, so what what about your the podcast you're involved in? Do you want to talk a little bit about yeah. that? That comic smell podcast, um, which uh, the origins of that was in a, a library uh, comics group that I used to run. Uh, when I worked in the in the public libraries, uh, and then that that kind of came. Al- well, actually, there was a little. It, it moved to another library, and uh, we all joined in with this other library group, and then it all came merged. It was a comic. Well, merger. kind of, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and and then once that came to an end, we all just thought, well, we don't want to stop doing this because we all just like we'd all become good pals by then, you know, and mm-hmm. and enjoyed talking about comics every every month, you know, just. Um, and then Tom uh, was talking about um, he was talking about he'd like to do a podcast and he and he'd tried it over a couple of years and but he thought he maybe needed a theme or whatever and, and I remember I just said uh, well, why don't you just press record on that while we're doing this and that's a podcast isn't it you yeah. know if you if you tidy it up a bit or whatever so we just tried it and we just keep going and it's really enjoyable it's been good. And we'll hopefully have some of the other um, yes. guests on from yes, there. Yes, absolutely. Um, and down to availability at the moment, but we will get them on at a later date. Which I know. I know they're uh, they're keen to come on. Yeah, no, yeah. We'd, we'd, we'd love to have them on. Um, so what we're really here today to talk about is your comic choices, mm. and uh, and what we are looking for is a is a sort of classic comic choice and a mm. contemporary comic choice yeah. uh, for you to discuss. Uh, so what have you brought along as your classic? Yeah, I must say, uh, we've not discussed this. No, for, this is good, so actually. I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued. Yeah, and yeah. We've never done this. I've always known in advance, so this is completely off the cuff. <laughs> okay, so we're going back to 1980 for this first oh, one. Oh, I do remember this. The so. Incredible Hulk Annual. Yep. Authorised edition. Used to scare me, that cover. I'm just, oh, I'm yeah. just telling you that. It's the... It's the um, we're in the era of, of of the TV show, so on the front is the the four faces, Bill Bixby merging into Lou Ferrino mm-hmm. as the Hulk, and like so many kids then, I was watching that show every week. Yeah, uh, same year. Thought it was great, you yeah. know. And so you wanted this for Christmas, mm. um, definitely. And it's such a nice book. I've 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 still got such nostalgia when I look through it. Yeah. And um, so you've got your name on it. Which yeah, is my good. name and my old address <laughs> scribbled on there, and. And what was good with the Marvel UK at the time, they were, they were creating new comics yeah. in Britain. And so they, they were doing these ones that um, they're kind of halfway between the comics of the, the Marvel comics and the TV show. Mm. So Banner in it looks like um, Bill Bixby, you know, yeah. and, and the Hulk doesn't talk in it at all. He, he, he's uh, just... He just grunts like he does in the TV show. Yeah, but it's really nice. I mean, it's um, it's John Higgins. John Higgins was uh, doing a lot yeah. of work for for them at yeah. the time. Very early John Higgins. Work, yeah, but fantastic. You can still see it's him though in certain yeah. panels. 
and he always had this, this signature that I could never read until later, and I always thought it said some like Bahillis or something, <laughs> and it wasn't until years later. And then great articles about the history of the Hulk mm. taken in the comics, and and then articles on Lou Ferrino yeah. and Bill Bixby, yeah. <laughs> uh, and then more great that they'd have text stories and nice colour John Higgins work there. Yeah. His again, colour work has always been fantastic. Oh, it's beautiful, you know? yeah. It's really yeah. good. Um, but a, a, just a great annual. For for kids loving the show, this is a great primer. Get them in with the cover, the, the TV show stuff, and then give them good comic stuff in there. History. There's even a great reprint of uh, the very first, the Jack Kirby. Yeah, oh, in that's black a, and white. That's, yeah. a, that's a great thing yeah. to have in there. And yeah. I love that story. Uh, from this book and there was a little pocket book at the time that collected them I do remember him actually I I say in in black and white but I see you've had a go of colour oh yeah (laughs) yes the felt tip pens have attacked to this book got fed up with it there Uh, started on his shoulder and thought oh no that'll take forever doing that But yeah, it is nice to see it in black and white, isn't it? Yeah, it's unusual to see it in black and white, actually. And it's interesting because obviously these are British-made mm-hmm. annuals, you know, and uh, the tone of it is, is different from uh, what what would be a traditional American comic annual. You know, they're, they're a different beast, aren't they? So they, they are, yeah. I mean, the, the the American ones are obviously much more into all that continuity and, mm. and there's 4,000 superheroes going around and or potentially could be around the corner in any yep. of these comics but this you know it's just him turning into the hulk and he's yeah. on the run uh and mostly there's a there's a, a color strip by john higgins again there four or five pages which does have a very british feel about the lettering yeah. as well the lettering yeah. style it looks like uh, john aldridge or someone who was oh. working for ipc at the time you know uh, which is quite interesting and the, even the page layout the, the, mm-hmm. the, is very British comics, you know, uh, it's still fantastic, you know. Yeah, but, it is. Yeah. Uh, but it is a different feel from the Americans. Actually, it, just a question because I can't see from and I can't remember. Is it? Is it? Is he Bruce Banner or David Banner? He's David Banner, He's David Banner. in Banner. the British uh, yeah, so he story yeah, there. Yeah. See, that now. see, that's really interesting mm-hmm. um, because they changed the name in the in the TV show. That's right. You know? Yeah. Um, but I have to say again, the cover. You, you mentioned the cover, mm-hmm. and it's really triggered a, a memory for me of when I was a kid. It wasn't actually the Hulk I was scared of as a kid. It was uh, it was uh, David Banner's eyes when mm-hmm. he changed. That that so there was something about that. that re- and on this cover, the, the, there's the part of the transformation there, yeah. and he's got the contacts in to to, to make yeah. that change happen. That used to freak me. It's out. very intense. Yeah, I used to have to turn over sometimes. At you that can point. still remember the bit where you'd be wait, you'd be willing it to happen <laughs> almost, and then it. You did. wanted them to get angry, and the eyes always looked right at the camera, and, yeah. and the, the noise, the ding, yeah. and then it would eyes open, oh, and, and then you're you like, knew. Oh, no. yeah, and Great. then it would cut to some stock footage of you know <laughs> of him changing. You, you know. know, he did run down that same alleyway about 25 times over the course of the, the series no matter where he was so another interesting thing about the british annuals at the time was the use of text stories and we've mentioned yeah. that in some some other episodes of the mm-hmm. podcast so what, yeah. what was your take on the text the text sections of these these books well they were i guess they were more hard work weren't they uh you know and there wasn't i mean it's still nice artwork he's done on it yeah uh, the, the the hulk bursting out with the newspaper there and but still, you, you did kind of wish it was another comic page instead, you know. Yeah. Yeah, well, I, <laughs> I have to admit. Yeah. Uh, I think I probably read the text stories once, and then that was it. I never read them again. Whereas the other stories in there, like the like the first episode of the Hulk, Jack Kirby, I've read that a million times over, mm. you know, and memorised every 
it's looking at the artwork and, and the layout and everything. It burns into your mind in a way that a text story just doesn't no. do it the same way, you know. I mean, I'm, I'm a very visual person anyway, so yeah. to be honest, yeah, I would look at the pictures and maybe skim the text stories, you know. Yeah. And, and it's interesting, you know, and now I do look back on these and I, I will try and engage with the text stories, but even now it's a challenge, you know, it's mm-hmm. a challenge because they're written in a way and we, again, like I said, we mentioned this in another another episode in the, in the episode with the guys from Where Eagles Dare, um, where, you know, the, the text stories are often maybe repurposed stories that were maybe meant to be a comic strip mm-hmm. uh, at some point, but down ah, to budget right. reasons. So okay. they read like a, a comic script that's been turned into a text story, which is a bit like, of a weird... A bit dry. Yeah, you yeah. know, and a bit descript- overly descriptive and then mm. and then rely on dialogue as well and over, you know, anything else. And it's a weird hybrid of the two, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think you'll find a lot of these annuals and a lot of the Grand Dreams, which is, which is the publisher yeah. of the time, did have a, a reliance on those, you know. Mm-hmm. And didn't generate that much original content. Although, I have to say, yeah. it looks like John Higgins got quite a lot of work out of that Yeah, one. he's got a few jobs there. And, and yeah. <laughs> The one after this uh, uh, had a similar thing. It was uh, David Lloyd that had done the. Yeah, the I've seen those pages. images. Yeah, he also did a Knight Rider annual as well, which was oh, uncovered Knight, quite I've never, I've never, I've seen the cover of that, but I've never yeah. heard through the story for yeah. that. Yeah, but I only found that out last month. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, yeah. yeah. But there was a whole, you know, there is a who's who mm-hmm. of the British comics industry at the time in these annuals if you can track them down you know yeah. and they are you can track them down most of them down on mm-hmm. eBay and you know and pick them up at car boot sales and you know comic shows and things like that um, but at that point that was a, a huge access point for mm-hmm. UK comics readers to American comics because often it would be a, mm-hmm. a an American reprint in there that you hadn't seen before yeah. you know I'm thinking of the you know the the superheroes one, which had uh, reprints of uh, you know um, Fantastic Four, Spider Man, uh, Thor, you know, right. and again the similar format, you know, uh, mm-hmm. and, and I just think you know it's a it's a real shame now that that kind of that kind of annual kind of died out. Yeah. It is a shame because sometimes I look through them now, um, like the Star Wars one or whatever, because yeah. you know, and there'd be no comic in it at all, which is a shame. You'd you'd hope there would be at least five pages in there or something. But well, that's the way it is. I guess I have to pay somebody to do that and put effort into it. <laughs> well, at least we've still got the Beano and the Dandy. Exactly. Animals. I mean, they're keeping that tradition yeah. alive in that format, you know. But yeah. that's almost well. That's not fair to say the other annuals. Yeah, they're mostly licensed tie-ins mm-hmm. and um, but different from this kind of licensed tie-in. Where, let's face it, you know the 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 the, the, the connection between the book and the TV show is sort of. Still a bit tenuous. Now, oh, if, yeah. you try, if you try to do that nowadays, mm. the, the whoever owned the license would be all over that. Yeah. You know, you wouldn't yeah. be able to do any of that. That's what, right. what was in the Hulk. That's a bit too creative. Yeah, exactly. Stop or that. Too off brand. <laughs> yeah, you know? too off brand. Um, yeah. But there's, but there's, uh, you know, there's a lot of uh, really interesting things in, in that uh, annual. And what we'll do is we'll take some some photos of, oh, yeah. of your copy of it, and we'll, mm. we'll post them up. You'll so see just people, how. Knacker that is. <laughs> it's loved, I guess. Oh, it is. It's, it's well <laughs> loved, yes. It's well read, but yeah. So did you keep back, but how many more of these annuals were, were there? Was another uh, after They that? lasted about up to 85 or so, right. but increasingly less of the TV stuff in it. Hmm. So the one after this, I remember TV, but I think pretty much after that, it was uh, all comic stuff, which was fine by me. Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't know if you remember that story that they did, I think Chris Claremont wrote it, and it was all the old 50s monsters came back and he fought them all one mm. after another. Yeah. And that was the entirety of one of the annuals. It was that story 
That was where Groot was in it and all that. Yeah, you know? see, sometimes they would do that. They would put the whole annual over to like a, a yeah. double-sized episode or a, what, what was the equivalent to an American annual. And, mm-hmm. but, and, but they never had the hard covers like we yeah. did. And the format was always a bit bigger in the UK than America. So no, I love seeing that as well, you know, because mm. it was often content that probably we didn't have access to the original, you know, you know the comics. American comics were hard to come by. So. Yeah, they were. So yeah, yeah, it was tough. So when the annuals and what happened. Yeah, exactly. When did you when did you stop getting the Hulk annual? Can you remember? Or when you when they all? stopped making it. Yeah. <laughs> so you got them all the way through. Basically. Well, they stopped about yeah. The last one had a nice Paul Neary cover of 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 the Hulk's kind of squashing the Hulk logo in his hands, oh, yeah. and he was like ah. Yeah. And uh, that was the last one they did. Mm. I mean, they started them again like fifteen years later yeah. once the Ang Lee movie was out and things like that. But you know, it was kind of. I didn't buy those. Yeah, it's more of a nostalgia thing. Yeah, for, for sure, me. Sure. Yeah. And so, but did you get the other annuals at that time? What were the other ones you were picking up? Oh uh, well, Spider Man yeah. certainly. Yeah. Uh, Star Wars. Yeah. Uh, I, I did have. I mean, I almost brought two thousand AD annual nineteen eighty two, which to me is an absolute classic. It's mm-hmm. just like an absolute treasure trove. Yeah. It's, it's fantastic. That color, Brian Bolland. Uh, Judge Dredd that's in it where he's in the zoo and all yeah that. but at a time when there wasn't a lot of colour yeah exactly you know. that's beautiful yeah that and, and then I did have like that, uh, you know the, the dandy book it was called and things like that mm-hmm. I remember Dan on the front shaving with the with the blowtorch <laughs> yeah yeah that that's a about? classic image yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. So there was there was a lot of annuals but there was a lot of other stuff like there was Flash Gordon annuals Blake 7 yeah basically any annual I could get my hands on I was wanting to have a read of it you know do you keep this tradition going with your kids? Um, I have tried to. I don't know how interested they are. Yeah, I mean, I'm saying I have tried to. Yeah, I definitely do because even in the house right now, there's the latest Clone Wars and all that, you know, mm. and and whatever else they're into. Minecraft annuals and all yeah. that kind of thing, you know. Is there comics in that? I don't think there was, no. But it's <laughs> just asking because I don't pick that one up. No, so. you know, it's a, it's a thing of, it's Christmas I love Daniels, so you're getting an annual, you know? <laughs> and they kind of look blankly. Okay, okay, Dad, yeah. It's a shame, though, in a way that that... It's, but it's a shame that that's... Getting, I mean, I remember getting this sort of supplement in the in the comics, the weeklies, and it would show you the range of, of annuals that mm, were available that's right, yeah. you know, each year. There's yeah. a little pink insert sometimes, you uh-huh. know, with the... You know, with the, the, all the covers, and you looked at it and went, Well, yeah, you almost tick them off, you know, what you wanted yeah. to get, you know. And it was a whole, it was a, you know, you could, you could pretty much tell, you know, you know, when you when you picked up a present, it was an annual, mm. it was an annual, and that was there. great, though. Yeah, no, yeah. And, and it was kind of like, Well, what have I got? Okay, and, and, that, and I had a huge annual collection. Now. Unfortunately, yeah. I, I didn't keep a hold of all of them, I've kept like, the, whole, mm. the majority of yeah. them, but I think there was a bit of a borrow culture or a lending culture when I was a kid, so you yeah. would lend the that's ones out that you didn't have, and sometimes you didn't get them back. You that's know? right. That's why the, this book belongs to is quite an important part mm-hmm. of an annual. You know, I would yeah. fill that out, and you did put your name on that oh, one, yeah. so there was obviously... I'm my address, so you could have returned it if you found it lying on the street. <laughs> So find my day, annual. Kid. There should be an app for that or something. Yeah, I don't know. Find yeah. my annual. Brilliant. Okay. Well, no, it's a, it's a, it's a very good choice. And you uh, talking about that ad hmm. has just reminded me. Sometimes they would make the ad quite early, and it wasn't the final cover. Oh, that was brilliant. And there yeah. was a Return of the Jedi one, and it was a photo cover. Was it Revenge of the Jedi? Uh, no, it no, wasn't. It was, it was it was Return, but it was a photo of them on 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 the skiff thing, and mm. then two photos at the bottom. And then when it came out, that wasn't the cover. I think it actually had ended up having a Jerry Paris drawn, oh, Jerry Paris. which was great. Yeah. But for years, I wondered 
is that another annual that I can find somewhere, you know? But I don't think it ever got past that advert stage. Yeah, you know? that sounds like one of those Star Wars, you know, myths or urban yeah. myths about, you know, that actually went out and some people have got a copy I of know, that. I know, I know. Maybe they do. But you mentioned Jerry Paris, Paris yeah. and, and, and he actually, he came up in a previous episode as well, oh, because right, un, yeah. unbeknownst to you, because this other episode isn't out yet. Ah, yeah, I've not heard it. Um, John Gill, who was on a few weeks ago, uh, brought in the Hulk comic of this time mm-hmm. and actually touched upon some of the same things that you touched upon mm-hmm. about how they were referencing the TV show yeah. more than the actual original source mm-hmm. um, so we had a discussion about about that that, we, that you know that again you, you're not privy to so there was no ah. there was no collusion here on, on, well, on, on that front but Jerry Paris came up in the conversation yeah. because he had done the, the cover for that issue of the Incredible Hulk comic the Marvel UK had done right. and he was doing lots of those covers at mm-hmm. the time I mean what did you make of his work? Well I just thought he was great you know yeah. uh, Jerry Paris he did a lot of painted stuff so you know I would rip them up the middle and stick them on my wall when I was a kid <laughs> I thought they were terrific mm-hmm. Jerry Paris yeah and he did um, Spider-Man stuff as well uh, Sometimes you wonder where these people... A lot of these people didn't go on to be superstars in the US. So you, for a while, you kind of wondered what had happened to them, you know. Um, we did discuss I'm, that in the, in the, in the ah, previous episode. Okay. He, this he, is he went on to be, yeah, you know, it's like know, I but, heard it. But he yeah. went, he went on uh, to be a more commercial artist. And right. He yeah. does have a very good blog. Yes. Uh, Facebook. He's, he's, uh, he's, you could uh, track him down on Facebook, and he, he does. Did a, he did an amazing. Uh, Christmas Spider-Man yeah. that I drag out every year, and right. it's and it's uh, the Santa and Spider-Man at, at the um, at the top of the house, you know. And mm. Santa's got the the presents, and Spider-Man's like, and it's just great. Merry Christmas from Spidey, you know. It says right. Jerry Paris, and then he did that Star Wars one, which was um, Darth Vader, and with the he's got the presents, and Han and Luke are there, and it's okay, like yeah. from from Dad to Luke from Dad, you know. And you could probably do like a, a whole book, an art of book on just his covers, mm-hmm. you know. Because they're he, so nice. And he, and he also crossed over uh, into, you know, in, into he did a lot of work in video games, uh, mm. magazines as well, uh, CBG, yeah. I think it was. And he and he did uh, Bug Hunters, I think it was called. And he also did uh, the Free Fall Warriors, I think, from oh, uh, yeah. some point, I think. Yeah, Captain Britain. Yeah, was, when it was, was in Captain Britain. Yeah, yeah. That I mean, was good. Yeah, I mean, he should, like, like we, we did say this before, so we're sort of repeating ourselves. Okay. You don't, you don't I didn't know hear that. it. Yeah, so carry on. Yeah, um, but basically, yeah, it's amazing <laughs> that you didn't have a, a bigger comics career. But you know, I guess at some point they feel like they need to make some money, <laughs> so uh, have to look for something else to do. You know, well, a good commercial artist will be able to turn their hand to to almost anything. So yeah, I mean, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I, I understand. Use that. their skills. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Good. good. Yeah. So if you move on to okay. a more contemporary, my more choice. contemporary one is. It's quite different. I like this because I don't know what's coming out of the bag Yeah, it's here. a surprise. <laughs> Soldier's Heart oh, right, okay. by Carol Tyler. Right, okay. Now, th- this I got at Christmas, mm. uh, which was about five months ago. <laughs> You're doing a bit of time travel today. Yes. Yeah. So. Uh, and I got this because I really like Carol Tyler anyway. She did one called The Job Thing, mm. uh, which was all about her having her, you know, We've all done it, these terrible jobs, you know, that you're stuck in just to make money for a bit. <laughs> and this, um, I mean, as you can see, it's about 400 pages. Yeah. And uh, it's a very personal bit of work, all about her own life, her dad's life, her mum's life. And historical, it's very well researched as well. And her, her artwork is just beautiful, in, in my opinion. You know, mm-hmm. she's got a lot of different 
she, she does play with the styles a bit. She's yeah. did a bit here that she's... What's good about this is it, it, it's the story, but also she's mapping out how she's making the comic. Right. So you see her sitting drawing this comic as it goes along as well. Yeah. And it's her different ideas for it. Um, so that one of these ideas here is that she thinks I'll do a new scrapbook uh, for my dad and it'll be like different pictures and, and he's she's been speaking to him and, and written it all down. And then as the thing goes along, we keep going back to more of the scrapbook. Yeah. And then halfway through, she's kind of, oh, I'm so sick of doing this scrapbook, you know. She's not got the enthusiasm so much. Yeah. Then she does go back to it. And so you're going on the journey of, of making it as yeah. well as reading it. And um, so... It's pretty diverse visually as well. Yes, I mean, is, when yeah. you go through it, and again, we'll put some snaps up or some, you know, mm. some links to this. But I mean, it is. But great detail yeah. as well as being cartoony. She's she's really went to town on it. Very distinctive. And what I like about it is it's hand lettered again yeah. as well. We've yeah. been talking about that quite a lot. A lot of different lettering styles yeah. as well. And being quite playful with that. So mm. the page you've just opened up there, actually, the lettering's breaking out Chelsea. into the image, you know. Yeah. There's things, really interesting things going on where, yeah. where again, if you're to do the, the the lettering digitally, then you do lose that kind of element to incorporate. And this page we've just flipped open on has uh -huh. got sort of almost sound effects, but they're not, they're um, like signage. And mm -hmm. it's all kind of incorporated into one image, which, yeah. you know, has a bit more, it's bit, it feels a bit more dynamic because it's drawn. Yeah, I agree. I think she was really good at doing the letter and, and making it a part of the visuals of it. Mm. It's uh, even the way she's done the panel yeah. borders is interesting. Just like okay, on this one I don't need to do that. On you know, it's kind of breaking up all over the place. And there's a bit of crossover as a page here we're on where the the characters bursting out of the frame mm -hmm. and, and leading your eye through the page in a slightly different way, which again being very playful with the form. You know, she's got a she's got a big. Um, uh, toolkit. She's got a yeah. lot of different skills and a lot of different ideas, and she's throwing them all in. Now, I, I'm I'm actually not aware of this, so this is a, I'm reacting to this as right. I see it here, right? Uh -huh. and, yeah. and, so, do you know the background of this? As in the format of it's quite interesting. Yeah. So, uh, how did that come about? Well, this this um this came up with three books, right? So she'd get a third of the way through. That was the first one, and then right. she did three, and then it was all collected. Right. So this has been in the last. I was to choose a contemporary. I think this one's about three years old at this point, but it's new to yeah, me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I mean, it's it's been a lot of work. It's been years, you know, with comics. It's years and years you're talking yeah. about to do a, a, a big tome like this. Sure. Uh, and it, and in fact, that can as a reader sometimes that can be a bit. Oh, you know, you go, it looks great, but oh, look at the size of it. You know, it's a bit intimidating. Oh. Yeah. So, so this one, I remember it was sitting there for a good few weeks, and I was thinking I must read that. But I got other things. Uh, I got the collection of the Jack Kirby, the Demon. Mm. So that was more of a breeze. I was reading through that and thinking I must get on to. But so I finished the Demon and then got into this, and I must say it really, it grabs you. You know. Yeah. And you're in. There's, and there's no way I could have stopped reading it. That's always good when that happens, you know, because it's like I've got loads of things that are on that, you know, to yeah. read pile, and you, you, you sometimes you like put things off, and then you go when you start reading it, you go, oh, I wish I'd read that sooner. Yeah. You know, uh, Plus, there's just so much great stuff to read as well. Is. So we're kind of lucky that way. There's not enough time to read it though. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's the problem, you know. Um, I think something that did surprise me with this was the amount of, as well as I'm making the comic, I guess with the title Soldier's Heart, you know. 
a daughter's memoir, you kind of get the idea it'll be the story of him in the war. Yeah. Which, of course, it is. But there's a lot about the family life now. Mm. You know, the way the dad is now, the, the mum, the, the, the daughter as well. And she's actually, Carol Tyler's actually married to Justin Green. Right. So there's a whole story in this about their relationship. Wait, wait, see that? Oh yeah. Yeah, you it's never think that. Personal. Look at that. From the cover, the cover no. doesn't really give much away. To be no. fair, you know. That's um, right. It, yeah, it, it's it just um, it doesn't really tell you any of that. No, it doesn't. In fact, it gives you a slightly different perspective. On yeah, it, I think until you opened it up. I guess the subtitle is a wee clue. True. I never really. True. Paid attention to that. I don't I really mean, decided I wanted it. Even imagery point. wise, quite a realistic image on the cover. And I mean, you get mm-hmm. inside, there's lots of big cartoon. Ca- yes. There's lots of realistic, you know, pages, uh, you know, um, that, that are set against that. Uh, this page here, uh, Phil, I thought was really had really interesting stuff on it. With the, this is talking about the her mum's stroke, mm. and she's visualising. Mm. You know, it took only one fully loaded clot to expunge a most precious area of mother's mind, her sweet spot. Mm. And there's, you can see they're showing you it yeah. almost like a bullet going in or something yeah. coming out, and then they've got she's saying, "Oh, sparklers," and you see the different there's lines and there's yeah her face is kind of. Away what an interesting... Yeah, it is a bit, uh, as a visual, it's really quite it's, challenging. It is, it's like, wow, look at that. Yeah, I mean, Because I was already reading it well into the story. Her talking about her mum is quite emotional. Mm. She's saying, like, her mum is there. It's not like she's... But she never quite reaches the emotional... Yeah. You know, it's like, see, this the happy 4th of July. She says, okay. Mm. You know, she's mm. there, she knows what's going on, but... It's not affecting her anymore, you know. And obviously because this was done over a period of time, that that's the way the story evolved. It was yeah. never part of the plan, obviously, you know, that that was the way the story that's was right, going. Yeah. That's what's really interesting about a, a, a piece of work that is, you know, uh, created over a, a long period of time that is mm-hmm. a personal story and, you know, yeah. and, and evolves over time. And, you know, yeah. and that's that's something that I, when you showed me the cut, I, w- I wouldn't have expected that from, no. from the book. No, you're right. Uh, I didn't, and and it's almost like a bonus. Like I thought this was going to be good, but it's really mm. great, <laughs> you know. And then, uh, and then we've also got another emotional. But uh, our, our mum lost a child when she was younger, but she's never really talked about it, you know. So mm. we've got a, a, a little section yet. She never does talk to Carol about it, yeah. but Carol's sister knows about it, and so she writes out the story of how this came to be, you know. And that's really. Heart wrenching as well. That mm. that was like you're reading that and you have to, you get to the end of that bit and you have to stop for a bit, you know. And mm. Because so, yeah. it's, well, that's an interesting thing. So how do you engage with it? Cause it's such a dense piece of work. So mm. much of it. I mean, it's not something you could read in one no. in one sitting, you know. So I, I take it you did you break it down when you read it into yeah into almost like the way the chapters are in there yeah or, or yeah. I had a vague idea that okay, I'll tackle it the way as three books, the way it was published at first. But that was, I didn't stick rigidly to that. Yeah. If I got to a certain point, I thought right, I'll stop there. And I did. T- it was like over the course of a, you know two or three weeks that I, that I got it finished. So yeah, to sit, I, I guess you'd be sat there for five or six hours if you just sat and read the whole thing. Put a day aside to mm-hmm. do it. I mean, which you could do if you were on holiday or something. But it's a lot to take in. Yeah, and because it goes over decades. Anyway, it's all over the place. Yeah. But so this kind of this kind of just to go back to this sequence here, you know, it's it's her dad, and uh, her mum is so heartbroken after losing the kid, you know, and then it, and she's I don't want to live anymore. Stop it! And then he, he just he strikes her, you know, and it's, it's mm. shocking, you know, it's mm. quite shocking. 
but he's done it and he says we've got other kids to raise hmm. we've got to carry on you know and and it's a shock but you see it's real you know what's really interesting about that is there's a red line underneath yeah. those and that's yeah that, that's the that's panel almost like, underlining that that, that yeah. or highlighting that as, yes and it really jumps out at you, how important but, that was yeah and that, and that and also explains why she's never talked about it you know they had to bring up the other kids and then the dad he'll have he's done what he thought was right there but he'll have guilt about that or whatever and you know and then of course the next panel somebody comes down hey come on sandwiches you know life goes on it's yeah. got to so you know great book uh if you get a chance give it a read uh that's her mum did a painting and she put it in as well and each flower is uh, representing the different kids and the one that died is is the first one and the tears were coming off it you know mm-hmm. You know, I'm. I'm. T- I don't want you to think this book is absolutely miserable. It's. It's really funny as well. There's some really funny stuff, but it's. It's very real. It yeah. really makes you feel stuff. Yeah, totally I, different than. You know, we love the whole yeah, 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 yeah. the nostalgia. We love all that. Yeah. But, but then sometimes you get comics that are just real. Yeah, exactly. It's a huge contrast between the, your two choices. Sometimes yeah. there's a thematic way or something that you could relate between the two of them. And to be mm. honest, there's. There's nothing really between the, the, your two choices, which is a, a good thing. And uh, how did you? So how did you find out about this originally? How did you get your hands on it? What What was the reasoning behind it? Was it just a gift that someone well, gave the, you? Well, the, the, by the time we get to this one, it would have been a new who she was anyway, because right. I picked up the job thing years right. ago. Yeah, uh, and thought it was great, mm-hmm. and so we'd just be keeping an eye on if any new Carol Tyler stuff comes out. Mm-hmm. But like a lot of these. You know, cartoonists, it's, they do what, a book every six years or something because it's so work at, you know, intensive. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm sure it was the 90s or something when I bought the job thing, maybe the early 2000s. So it's just a name that's in there. And in fact, I see that she's done another one about the Beatles, mm. uh, the Fab Four. Uh, and so I'll be getting that at some point as well. Yeah. Um, I, I really, uh, the colour on this, I, I marked out this section to remember that the Christmas, there's a Christmas segment and there's some really photorealistic almost yeah. great colours as well I see it is it almost uh, it almost still feels, cartoony yeah but and it, it almost has but, to feel like a sketchbook at this yeah. point and it almost feels but then it's mixing up Not the bad. media a bit mm-hmm. as well and you know um, yeah which is good to see but it's still it's still a, a comic yeah, you know I mean yeah. that's something that, yeah. that's important to bear in mind that it's yes. not it's not an illustrated book no um, and then as we go through there's actually a good bit where she's... Um, her dad has got almost zero interest in following this, the fact that she wants to do a book about him being right. in the army. He's like, leave it, it's yeah. done, yeah. you know. And then he does get on board for a bit, and she does two pay, uh, two chapters of the scrapbook, and then he comes up and he says, yeah, I." he finally says I, on the phone, he says, I was, I was cut. I, they owe me money. The army owes me money. Right. So go and get evidence. Right. So then she's like, oh, she thought she was doing a, a scrapbook about his experience and a poetic, beautiful thing to, to mark what had happened. Mm. And he's like, yeah, I'll do it. Get the evidence and we'll get the money, you know. <laughs> so she's like, okay, well, it's still a reason to do it. Right. So that becomes a part of the story and they go away <laughs> looking for evidence and That's an and unexpected records. twist in yeah, the third act. <laughs> but again, really interesting. Yeah, you know? yeah. And then the, um, they end up going to the memorial and... You know, not not to ruin it, but there is kind of a moment where the dad is, he's reading all the names and what have you, and it's uh, it's a very grand, like these memorial uh, gardens or mm-hmm. or places like that. They're 
they're kind of beautiful and, and respectful. And then he's stood there and he's just like, he just starts saying it's death, you know, it's, it's the value, it's death everywhere. It reminds us of, this is all, these people all died, you know. Mm-hmm. <coughs> and then, and so they go into that and telling you all the different ways that people died. And he, he saw it all, you know, and it all come, and then he thinks about his daughter that he did lose and that he did lose, sorry. Uh, and then he's, you know, he gets emotional and, and it all sort of comes out. And we're getting towards the end of the book there. And, yeah, I mean it's a you know it's it, it, me sitting talking to you about it for ten minutes can't no. tell you all of it, but I hope no, you no. get the idea that I liked it. It's really good. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I mean it's got me quite interested in it as well. Yeah, I have to say, yeah. and that's been happening quite a lot. And and when people have been bringing in their choices, where it's things yeah. that there's so much good stuff out there, you, you sometimes miss things out. And I'm hoping that. That, that people will pick up on that who are listening as well, mm-hmm. who might not maybe have taken a risk on a book like yeah. that or judging a book by its cover. Or like, mm-hmm. uh, like we spoke about the Hulk one and it's like, yeah. it used to scare me as a kid, you know, <laughs> and the contents are far from scary, really, you know. That's and this right. book, this book almost, you know, it almost says something different than the, the content. To me, mm-hmm. anyway, if I saw mm-hmm. that on the shelf, I'd be expect, my expectation would be set up and uh, to, to, to think of a slightly different, you know, content yeah. than, than is there. So, yeah, more of a straightforward uh, army yeah. story, or and it's far from that inside as you can. You, yeah, I mean that's see. in it, but there's a lot more. Yeah, family. So, so there you are. Okay, great. And again, we'll put some links up to that so that you can uh, uh, maybe pick that up yourself if yeah. you're not aware of it, like I wasn't until uh, 15 minutes ago. <laughs> right. Um, so yeah, so that so that brings us up to date, really. So, yeah. is there anything you're working on at the moment? Uh, we've we've, we've chatted uh, a little bit at the start uh, yes. about that, but what am I working on? Um, well, I've done another bit for Robin Barnard's Star Jaws that he's bringing back, okay. which is a great little comic he does. I saw uh, you put a post out about a bit of original art. Yeah, he sent me other, one yeah. of the pages, uh, yeah. and it's terrific. Yeah, it looks great. Yeah. You see it in person, it's just it's brilliant. You know? Yeah. So when's that coming out, do you know, or is it, will it be out? Well, it's going to be later on in the year, Yeah. actually. Um, he, he said it would be... Like maybe getting on for October, something like that, because right. he's got someone else planned, and then he's doing that. Yeah, um, yeah. How can we find out more information about that? Is there a way of? He's he's actually got a website called called Images Degrading Forever. Okay. So if you uh, if you look for that, he's got all the Star Jaws up there, mm. and he's probably got the Rome Romance up there as well, the new one that he did, right. which is like the love comics. I've seen some of those actually. Yeah, he, d- he did it yeah. with Wall of Seats. Yeah, um, so that that I just that's done in, in a way, and I'm I'm gonna do something for you know good comics, Paddy Johnson and and mm-hmm. Sam Williams and Rosie Hathaway. Mm-hmm. They're doing a new, uh, they call it something like Friday Comics, something like that, right. and you can do something for them. And, and they're putting it on their website on a Friday. So right. there you go, okay. something like that. Well, so that's, that's the next yeah. thing I'm gonna do. Yeah. And then other than that, I'm, I'm wanting to get Bell Time finished and out as a book this year. Yeah. Uh, so I'm about 12 pages away from finishing that. So how many? There must be quite a lot of pages of that already. So 56 That's altogether. All right. Um, and I did actually at the weekend. If I'd been speaking to you last week, I wouldn't say this. <laughs> but on Saturday, I was going through all my old artwork, tidying up and stuff. Mm-hmm. And, I, I've, and I've been thinking, I should maybe print old stuff you know you know you look at your old work and you go oh, for goodness sake you know but it's kind of sat there and i got tickled by the idea of what if i did like a 90s 
Fred Egg comics, you know, because it's all kind of sat there. So yeah, I was sifting through it. And then I, I thought, I've pretty much got a whole book here, you know. So I think I'm going to do that. I'm going to put I think you should, yeah. Yeah, <coughs> you know, I can squirm as a show people. Like. I did a similar thing recently, funnily enough, and you mentioned that because Chris Murray's doing a book and he's going to be coming on to talk about that quite soon called Comicsopolis, and it's a story yeah. about, you know, Dundee comics mm -hmm. historically right up to date, you know. And yeah. he asked me to do a piece about my sort of... 80s and 90s, you know, mm -hmm. fanzine stroke. I did a comic at school and I sort yeah. of dug them all out and he asked me to write a little piece for his book, which I did. But during that process, I started to scan in some of that old artwork and look at it again with fresh eyes. And so obviously yeah. some of the stuff I did was 11 years old isn't fantastic, but mm -hmm. there's something there, you know, and yeah. you, you can see that evolve, you know, and mm -hmm. I think it's always difficult for an artist to, to look or certainly to put their old work out there. Yeah, it's quite brave to do that, you know. At times, and I've I kind of like try to select the best images for mm -hmm. the book because <clears throat> it's just to show what was going on, and you know, and it, and it does evolve, you know. Yeah, but, yeah. But you should, you know, you should definitely I, get that. I, I think I'm going to do it. I'm pretty sure. Mm. Uh, over the next two days, I thought I'm doing this. Yeah. Once I got everything together. Yeah. Yeah, I thought I'm about eighty percent there. That's there. Why not? You know, because so, it's probably never really been seen. No, <laughs> you know? I don't think so. Not since I did it. You know. Yeah. You know, it was a very different world in the 90s, Phil, wasn't it? You wanted to sit and make your own comics. Well, yeah. that's nice. Yeah. You know, you'd print one up and maybe take it to Deadhead in Edinburgh. Yeah. And they'd go, yeah, okay, and stick it there. And that would be the last you'd ever hear about Well, that's it. if you were quite ambitious. I got it to the Black Hole in Dundee and that was it, you know? Yeah, <laughs> So, yeah, you know, the getting, sure. the, getting yeah. it out there was always the problem. And, yeah. you know, nowadays it's not quite so bad to get an audience. Hard to get an audience. There's more opportunities. You know, I mean, yeah. obviously, you know, it's, it's about the quality as well, but you know, but back in the day, it was photocopying mm -hmm. and you know, saddle stitching your own, yeah. you know, things yeah. together, and you know, and 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 the beg borrowing. So I used to get my dad to photocopy, you know, right. comics at his work, and, yeah, and 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 distribute them by hand almost, you mm -hmm. know, and it's just, yeah. you know, it was fun, but limited audience, you know, so you I need to get so. that worked to, to a yeah. bigger audience. Why not do it now, you know? I think so. Yeah, definitely. I yeah. look forward to that then coming out. Later in the year as well, maybe. Yeah, so, yeah, great. Sure well. well, thanks for coming in today. Thank you. And, uh, Thank you. Yeah, and like I said earlier, we'll put the choices up for everyone to see. And I especially think we should take some photos of your incredible Hulk mm. annual just to show, you know, even at that early age, you're being creative and starting to colour in some of the pages, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so thanks very much. In this episode of Comic Scene, I'm joined by Ian Wheeler. Hi, Ian. Hi, Phil. How's it going? Yeah, very good. Yourself? Yeah, not too bad. So, uh, let's kick this off by talking about the comics uh, you grew up with and uh, the comics that influenced you. Well, Phil, my period was probably the same as you, I guess, late 70s, early 80s. Mm -hmm. um, I started off reading a lot of the DC Thompson comics. So the ones I used to get delivered from the paperboy were things like The Dandy and Warlord and Nutty. I'm sure you remember all those. Yep. <laughs> um, and also Spike, which was a, a lesser known a DC Thompson comic, which I enjoyed. Um, and then I really went on to the IPC Fleetway comics, which are my real favourites, things like New Eagle, Scream, Battle Action Force. 
Um, and finally, the Marvel UK comics. So um, the ones I remember fondly are Spider-Man and Zoids, um, Return of the Jedi, um, because, of course, Star Wars was very big at that time. Um, Transformers was kicking off. There was the Doc 2 strip in Doc 2 magazine. Um, and I also loved picture libraries, so um, Commando and War Picture Library. Um, I remember um, my dad used to take me swimming on a Sunday and we'd always get a War Picture Library on the, the way back home, so that's quite a fond memory of childhood that I have. Yeah, it's definitely a, a, ge a generational thing because they're all the comics that I would pick up. And, yeah. And just going through that list, you know, that the, there was a huge wealth of different titles available available uh, and I think that was part of the great thing about the the, the, the diversity of titles on sale you know uh, that cut across you know boys girls humor you know uh, realistic stories uh, science fiction franchises you know TV tie-ins and you know I, I think we've, we've lost something a little bit you know in, in, in the current generation not having quite as much scope I would say what do you think? Well, I agree. And I mean, um, I was one of the quiet, geeky kids. So I wasn't sort of spending my money on um, music like a lot of the, the cooler kids were. Um, and comics were quite affordable then. You know, Eagle used to be about 20p. I know it's, um, you know, a thing as you get older, you tend to say that things were cheaper in the old days. But I think in real terms, comics were cheaper. Um, so, you know, if you had a pound in your pocket, you could probably get three or four comics. So they were good times. Yeah, and uh, the, there was a, the culture of the, the newsagent. We've spoken about this and on a, on a few other uh, episodes as well. And, and again, you know, there was just you, you would go in and you would spend your pocket money and you could come out with, you know, not just one comic, but 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 a few, you know, and uh, and again, uh, there was also the the newspaper deliveries. I was a paper boy as well, and uh, I would deliver my own comics weirdly, uh, which was a bit bizarre. But <laughs> um, but uh, but there was there was definitely it was in our consciousness, I think. Yeah, and um, thinking back to those days, I kind of think about my favourite artists and writers, which if I mention a few names, I'm sure the names that you'll know and the, the people listening will know. Ian Kennedy, who I know is a hero to you and me, <laughs> um, who did Dan Dare in New Eagle. Um, Jerry Embleton, who did Dan Dare just before Ian, brilliant artist. Yeah. Um, Mike Weston, who I got to know through exchanging letters, who did a lot of battle stories like The Sarge. Really nice bloke and so talented as well. Um, John Cooper, Jim Watson, and then writers, you could name hundreds, couldn't you? Alan Grant, John Wagner, Barry Tomlinson, who, um, you know, was um, one of the main editors at IPC. Just a golden era, really, for writers and artists. So did that uh, inspire you to create your, uh, your, your magazine, Eagle Flies Again? Yes, well... I started Eagle Flies again in, I think it was late 2000, which frighteningly is nearly 20 years ago, even though it seems like yesterday. Um, the internet was around then, Phil, but not really as developed as it is now. Mm -hmm. So there were one or two Eagle sites and one or two sites covering um, comics, but not a lot. So it was really quite fertile territory for someone to come in and do a fanzine because I thought a lot of these people haven't been interviewed about the comics and I thought they're not going to be around forever not not being pessimistic but people were getting old I thought we need to record this stuff yeah. you know for posterity someone needs to get this stuff down and interview these people and, and get their memories of work on Eagle and the other comics 
Well, that's interesting because it's certainly the first sort of uh, piece of work I came across that covered that era of, of comics. And you're right, you know, there wasn't um, there wasn't all these interviews. There certainly wasn't any podcasts uh, with uh, with the creators. And some of the first um, interviews I saw with some creators, like uh, like Barry Thomas, for example, was in was in uh, Eagle Flies again. And uh, you know, so there was some brilliant sort of nuggets of information that. That, that we just didn't know about because the only people we know about these stories were people who worked at IPC at the time. So how did you go about making the connections to these people? Well, I mean, I pretty much had free reign because let's forget this was before Hibernia, before Crikey, before Comic Scene, before Down the Tubes, um, before Bear Alley, before Lou Stringer's blog. There was none of those brilliant things at the time. So I had free reign and I started with Barry Tomlinson because I knew Barry had been um, group editor and editor of Eagle and of Tiger as well. And I realised that Barry was drawing the scorer strip in the mirror and I literally sent Barry a Letter, care of the Daily Mirror and within a couple of days he got back to me so I thought the internal post system at the Mirror must be brilliant <laughs> because the letter had got to him very quickly and within a, a day he'd written back. Wow that's brilliant I mean that's the thing you know you forget that you know that, that uh, back in the day again even you're we're even talking about you know pre-email I suppose you know so uh, well I yeah I didn't have a computer there was emails around yeah. uh, but I was using one of those old electronic typewriters right so I wrote to Barry and Barry was the key that unlocked it because he had so many contacts he knew all the other guys he knew Ian Kennedy he knew Mike Weston um, and Barry gave me addresses other people like David Pugh and John Gillett. He knew them, he'd worked with them, and you know, he was happy to share his knowledge and he was very kind and helped me out a lot. Yeah, and uh and again it, it does read like a who's who of, of of British comics, I think. And uh what yeah. I always what I always liked about it though is is that you know there was also you, you, you thought about the design of it as well and you'd commission new illustrations for it and I thought that really interested me as a as a creator myself. Uh, that you seem to spend a, a bit of time, you know, just elevating the design elements of, of, of the magazine. Well, the person that did that was John Freeman, right. because um, it was very much cut and paste. The first few issues were A5. We did four or five A5. And, you know, I was just cutting pictures out and sticking them down. And um, John, I think... We did get in touch via an Eagle forum on the internet. And obviously I knew John was because I, I'm a Dot Two fan. I knew that John was um, a very successful editor of Dot Two magazine. And John got in touch with me and said, do you want me to design it? And I was like, flipping it. You know, this, this professional designer wants to design my fanzine. So I thought about it for about three seconds and said, yes, please. So, so basically you know it ran its course and you know what happened at the end was it just a case of real life getting in the way or did you feel like you'd, you'd spoken to everyone that that you, you you wanted to speak to uh what what was the kind of the end of, of eagle flies again if you want well we've done very well i think we did 
14 and a couple of specials, which for a fanzine is quite good. And we brought together a lot of um, people. Um, I think that was one of the most successful things about Eagle Flies to get it brought together a team of people who you'll recognise the names now. Yeah. People like Jeremy Briggs and Richard Sheaf and Graham Neil Reed, writers and artists. Steve Winders was another one. And, and some of these people have gone on to do comic scene and. Um, uh, Graham does commando covers yeah. and people work on down the tubes with John so so we we we've got a great team together and I think yes we we we've done the um the lion's share of the interviewing um by the time we finished things were changing there was more stuff on the internet um and also um the Dander corporation were involved the dandare corporation were, were brilliant they let me do the fanzine and I, I did it um on the level i asked them for permission to do it and they said fine um, but things like spaceship away were coming in and they wanted um dandare fanzines and eagle fanzines to be licensed which they were well within their rights so um that was one of the reasons i decided to stop it was quite a small venture eagle flies again so it was never really feasible for it to be a licensed title yeah i mean i got to admit i was absolutely gutted when it when it came to a close i'm not gonna lie uh, you know uh, it was one of those ones that i really looked forward to you know and 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 uh, there was nothing else kind of kind of like it so you know so well done on that thank front. you <laughs> um so so there's a big jump in between that and how you got involved in comic scene i mean what what were you doing in, in the interim were you still keeping your hand in uh, with comics or, or comics journalism or writing articles or bring us up to, to speed with, with where you were and how you got involved in comic scene. Well, yes. Um, many of us who had worked on Eagle Flies again then went on to Down the Tubes, which, of course, is John's very successful um, comics website. It's the go-to place for comics news. Um, so there was that. Um, I did three or four pieces for Comics International, which I'm sure you'll remember. Yeah. Um, and also, I was very heavily involved with the Dot Two Appreciation Society. Um, I've been involved with that for many years, writing um, for fanzines for the society and being involved with running it. So, um, yeah, that was that was a big part of what I was doing, keeping my hand in with the Dot Two stuff. So, comic scene. So, how did you get involved in that? Well, basically, um, Tony Foster is the man who had the vision to do comic scene. Um, Tony had this arguably harebrained idea to do a print magazine about comics, which in this age of the internet seems crazy, but I mean, he's succeeded, he's done brilliantly. Um, and Tony, I think he asked John Freeman what people were around, what people knew about comics. And um, I think John gave Tony a few pointers as to people who would be good to have on the team. So because I had a little bit of knowledge of both Doctor Who and um, comics, um, kindly Tony asked me if I would do some Doctor Who articles for comic scene. And that's been your sort of special subject, if you want, hasn't it, so far? Uh, is there anything coming up that we can look forward to? Uh, bearing in mind that this this is pre-recorded, this uh, this podcast, so we might we might already be talking about things in the past. <laughs> yeah, well, um, yes, but for for issue one of volume two, in, in other words, 
issue one that went on the newsstands, um, I was very lucky to do an interview with Pete Weston, who is the son of Mike Weston, the famous battle artist. So um, I was diversifying a bit there. Um, with regards to the future, I'm not quite sure because... Um, Tony is in the course of mapping out the year ahead. Um, I think we'll want to um, certainly look at more Doctor Who because it's the 40th anniversary of Doctor Who Weekly in the autumn. Um, and, you know, I'll chip in where I can. We've got a great team on board. Lou Stringer's come on board, Richard Sheaf, you know, some great people. So, um, you know, if, if Tony wants me to write for it, I'll be there. And just last week in, in real time, if you want, I, I picked up um, Doctor Who magazine, which I've been getting since the 80s. And I noticed a familiar name uh, in, the, in the front page of that. So you're now writing for Doctor Who magazine. So how did that come about? Well, um, it, it's a one-off so far. Um, basically, I, I've wanted to write for Doctor Who magazine for years. I think most Doctor Who fans have. And it's just a it's just a case of pitching a, an idea that they like. Um, Marcus Hearn is the current editor and he's very open to ideas. And um, I realised that I live not too far away from Mark Troughton. Mark is the son or one of the sons of Patrick Troughton. So I thought that would be a nice interview to do um, to give people sort of insight into what it was like growing up with Doctor Who as a dad. Um, so I got in touch with Mark and he was up for that. I pitched it to um, Marcus and his deputy editor, Peter, and they thought it was a good idea. And I did the interview and, as you say, it's been running Doctor Who magazine. So I hope people like it. It's a little ambition that I've achieved and if I get to do more, that'd be brilliant. Yeah, that's in issue five, three, six, I believe. Yeah, it's always good to tick something off. You, you, yes, the bucket list like that. <laughs> yes, as, as you say, it'll be if we're recording ahead, so it'll be gone from the shelves by the time this comes out, but it will still be available, I guess, as a as a digital copy. Yeah. Yeah. So hunt that one down. So today we're going to talk about your classic choice of comic and also a contemporary choice and I have had some heads up on on your classic choice and uh, it's a surprise but not a surprise I think <laughs> so uh, do you want to tell our listeners what your classic choice uh, of comic is? Yes, well, my first thought was obviously to look at New Eagle because I had um, produced the Eagle Flies Again fanzine. But um, as people who will um, have listened to previous podcasts will know, Richard Sheaf gave a brilliant overview of New Eagle. I, I don't feel I can add anything to that. I think Richard nailed it. Um, so I'll talk about a contemporary of New Eagle, another IPC Fleetway publication, which was Battle Action Force. Um, Battle, of course, was a war comic that started in the 70s and in the early 80s it incorporated stories about the Action Force toys, which were the British equivalent of G.I. Joe. Yeah, I mean, it's something I kind of grew up with uh, having, you know, sort of uh, grown up in the 70s and early 80s and gone from Action Man to Action Force, which was basically a downsizing of the figure. Uh, yes. and to bring it more in line with the Star Wars figures at the time. Yeah. And then there, there was a huge marketing push, which which really this comic was, well, in, in, certainly initially this, this, this comic was, was created as a sort of marketing tool, but I, I, I'm sure you would agree it kind of went beyond that. Yeah, um, 
I don't know about you, Phil. I think there's a lot of um, snobbishness about marketed titles, but, yeah. but kids love toys. They love Masters of the Universe and Star Wars and, and um, Action Force. So why not why not tie in with that and, and, and give comic readers stories about the characters they love? I think it worked really well. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I mean, I loved it. It was one of one of my favourites. I, I have to admit, and uh, I think what I liked about it that was it was it was a, a sort of marketed story, but it was filtered through IPCs, some brilliant you know IPC creators uh, who were working on other titles, like you know you had Jerry Finlay Day writing some of the stories, you had John Cooper drawing some of the stories, you had Jim Watson drawing, you know, you had these amazing sort of IPC. Um, you know, veterans, if you want, uh, who who drawn for battle, who drawn for you know, New Eagle, who drawn you know since his sixties, and then suddenly you've got them drawing these very contemporary um, stories. Uh, yes, just an apology to um, listeners if you can hear my cat uh, mewing in the background. It's just making a guest appearance. I don't know if it's been picked up on the microphone. No, that's okay. Um, I couldn't hear it, but to be honest, I've got the same problem here. But uh, yes. luckily, the, the cat is out, out the door as, as we speak. So there's something um, in that. <laughs> yes, so that, that's thrown me slightly. But yeah, um, we we were, um, yeah, I, I remember the same names. Funny enough, I, I wrote some names down of writers and artists, and I, I wrote down the ones you've written down. Uh, that, that you mentioned so i mean a wealth of talent as you say um a lot of these guys have been working on all the other comics like eagle and tiger um some of them were in battle already of course doing things like johnny red the sarge um and then as you say were unleashed on these new action force characters which gave them um, a whole different world to play in almost like a mini marvel universe action force because there were so many different characters and and um, scenarios and you know uh, villainous baddies that they could write for and draw. Yeah, there was a there was definitely it felt more like a world and the characters crossed over into the different stories, which I which yeah. I really liked. So they, they were building this consistent consistent world and, and continuity within that world. Now, just just a quick question: Did you did you first pick up on Action Force with the free mini comics that came with uh, New Eagle? Yes, um, there was a couple of things that happened. Um, there were the mini comics, as you say, and also trial run in battle of, I think, four issues where they had some early action for stories. And those seemed to be received well. So in 1983, they, they went for it and battle became battle action force. Eventually, it kind of morphed into its own sort of mini comic in the middle, which IPC like to do with things like Wizard and Chips, you know. But remind me if uh, if I'm wrong, but it didn't start off like that. It was sort of integrated with the other stories, and then they made it a kind of separate two-in-one publication. Yes, they did. Um, in October 1984, um, they did launch an Action Force section, which, as you say, was like Wizard and Chips, which I thought was very exciting. Um, I suspect no comic reader ever pulled the pull-out out and made it <laughs> to a separate comic, so yeah. <laughs> whether it was worth it, I don't know, but that's what they did. That's very true. I don't know anyone who did that. You know, <laughs> Certainly not me. What was interesting at that time, I think, as well, is that um, it's almost like the other stories in... Uh, the the battle stories kind of upped their game a little bit. Do do, do you agree? They kind of suddenly they, 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 there was competition in house, and it felt to me that there was a bit of rivalry between the the creators on the other strips who thought, well, wait a minute, we're not going to get outdone by this. 
You may well be right, but the winner in all that, of course, was the reader because it meant you got two sets of great stories. Um, and you're right, the, the regulars like Charlie's War and Johnny Red went from strength to strength. Um, I'm sure it was friendly rivalries because there was just talented people working on both sets of stories. So I, I just think it made a really good product. Something else that, that strikes me, and I've got a couple of issues, and uh, rather dog-eared, I have to say, issues in front of me at the moment, is that the 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 length of the stories and the fact that the 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 main uh, action force story uh, at the start of the run anyway, it was in the center pages and it was a double page spread and it was in full color, and they seem to be sort of up in the ante a bit on the layout, the page layouts, and going for a slightly more Americanized layout than some of the more traditional battle stories. Um, I think you're probably right, and it was very exciting and innovative, as you say. Um, also, um, you may remember that they um, experimented with 3D oh, at yeah. one point, which Eagle had done, um, which you know, for a for a schoolboy aged however old I was, 13 or so, it was very exciting to be able to look at your favourite characters in 3D. Or yeah, or two and a half Ds, I would probably call it. Oh, well, yes, yeah. <laughs> but I love that as well. Any gimmick, you know, they they would go for it. I think as well. And um, yeah. it, it started off, uh, you know, focusing on well, the the villain was um, Baron Ironblood, and the, there was the Red Shadows, and there was there was kind of there was focus on on key characters. And then as time went on, it started to get more influenced by the American uh, GI Joe story. So eventually. Baron Ironblood morphed into Cobra Commander, um, and the continuity was completely different from from the American comics uh, at that point. And eventually, it went on to be a, uh, taken over by Marvel UK. But I would argue they never really captured the same spirit that the IPC stories did. No, um, I mean there was that golden era to begin with of Baron Ironblood and the Red Shadows. He had some great stories like Operation Bloodhound with SAS Force and Desert Strike with Z Force. Um, it's worth mentioning we haven't said that there were four um, Action Force teams. SAS Force, Z Force, Q Force, and Space Force. Um, and then you're right, it morphed into Cobra. Cobra became the new enemy, and it did um, match up to a degree with what was happening with G.I. Joe. Um, it was very exciting. They, um, they they could just have started afresh with the Cobra stories, but they, they did a very intricate story called World Enemy Number One, which explained how Baron Ironblood became Cobra Commander. So I thought that really showed respect for the readers, um, you know, actually explaining why the changes had happened so they could buy the new toys and see the new characters in the comic. Yeah, they didn't just jettison the old the old sort of uh, storyline. It, it was actually quite a seamless mix, certainly more seamless, I imagine, than if it had happened in, in American comics. I'm, I'm particularly fond of uh, storyline Revenge of the Red Shadows, where, again, there's a, there's a callback to... To the previous sort of setup, and and uh, I thought that was incredibly clever. And, and what struck me about it, uh, Ian, I don't know if you'd agree, is that the fact that they seem to get away with quite a lot, you know, with the license, which I don't think would ever happen these days. No, I'm. I when I've um, spoken to people like Barry Tomlinson who were involved, I think they did find the licensing a frustration um, because obviously um, scripts and concepts had to be checked with the toy company. But you're right, not to the degree I guess that it is today. 
yeah, it's it's they'd be all over it today, and things like bringing the the um, the red shadows back into the storyline would just be completely, you know, off the table. I imagine because they'd be so focused on selling the new toys, not not the old toys, you know. Um, but there was definitely it was definitely a, a British comic, a British interpretation interpretation of you know quite an Americanized product. Um, and I wonder whether you felt that that kind of hark back to the sort of old Action Man days where it kind of came from. Um, it may well be, yes, you're right, it did have a British flavour to it. I know that, um, ironically, a lot of American G.I. Joe fans love Battle Action Force mm. because they love collecting that sort of different take on the characters so that the action, the G.I. Joe completists do enjoy looking at the Action Force stories as well. Um, you mentioned um, that Marvel took the reins on um i agree with you that wasn't the period i enjoyed as much but i think that was good as well you know and a great team at marvel uk they came in and got the license and gave it a different spin so um you know it did have a lease of life beyond battle action force one of my favorite creators on, on, on battle action force was the very prolific vanuel or the vanuel brothers as it, as it turns out uh, i wonder what you thought about about his artwork or their artwork if you want Oh, definitely one of the best. I mean, the, the artwork was so detailed and precise, but, but that was the beauty of it. You've got so many different styles. You're right to name that particular artist or set of artists. You know, in contrast, you'd get someone um, like Jim Watson, where the artwork was very um, raw almost, you know, very realistic and gritty. Uh, and then John Cooper, another another spin again. So I think it was getting those different interpretations. They even had Ron Turner from the, um, the Dalek strips of the 60s drawing action force. So, you know, it was nice to get his take on it. Yeah, I mean, it, it was, I think we were kind of spoiled, and I, I certainly didn't appreciate it as much as I probably should have done at the time. You know, I just think you take these things for granted. Um, uh, and I, I think it, it, it was a, a smart move by IPC, and it certainly was one of the first sort of pure licensed comics that, that I was aware of. And, uh, and, it, and it, seemed to, it seemed to be successful. Usually these things, they have a spike of interest and maybe give it a year and, and it kind of fades away. But this one really seemed to, to last a distance, even to the point, and I'm sure you'll have something to say about this, is that when, um, when IPC lost the license, uh, they created their own version of uh, Action Force called Storm Force. Well, that showed how good they were at improvising and adapting to circumstances. You're right, they lost Action Force um, and the title briefly was just called Battle again. Um, so they obviously got together. I'd imagine there was quite an urgent meeting. What are we going to do, guys? Um, and to their credit, they came up with a really good alternative fighting team. Storm Force was very well thought out. Um, I, I think there was talk of a tour range for Storm Force that never took off and never happened. Um, it didn't last that long, but it, it gave battle at least of life for you know a little bit longer. I think those were good stories in their own right. I mean, actually, uh, it didn't. You're right. It didn't last long in in in, uh, in battle. But when battle was absorbed by ego, Stormforce ran for at least a couple more years after that. You know, not not as yes. quite a, 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 as long storylines. They were quite short. I think it was a 
two, three page or sometimes four, you know. But again, I'm pretty sure that that ran for another couple of years. So they, it definitely had, there was something there. And, and I was quite fond of that strip as well. And, and again, disappointing that they didn't actually manage to, to create a toy line around it because, because the stories justified it. Yes, I think they did. They really thought it through and came up with some good characters with some good motivation. Um, so, you know, it, it was another throw of the dice, but of course, comics were changing anyway. Um, so, you know, there, were, there was sadly a decline in the industry overall. So what was your uh, favourite run of uh, Action Force? Uh, what, was the, what was your favourite uh, storyline uh, across the, the number of years it ran in battle? Um, I think probably the one I mentioned before, which was that transitional period from um, Baron Ironblood to Cobra. Um, so as I said, the, the first story was called, called World Enemy Number One, which refers to um, Baron Ironblood, um, who um, tr transformed himself into Cobra Commander. Um, and then the early Cobra strips, there was a good one called Operation Snakebite, um, which I seem to remember was in a very sort of jungle-based location with um, characters like Zartan. Yeah. Um, so, so those early Cobra strips yeah and that was was that one drawn by john cooper i seem to, seem to yeah remember. well remembered it was yes yeah no there, there was some fantastic runs and again um unfortunately not as of yet reprinted i imagine down to licensing uh, issues uh potentially but if you can track down the original uh comics uh that would be great uh there is some uh, examples of it online um, and I'm, I'm not entirely sure of the ownership of that and I'm not entirely sure of the ownership of Stormforce there's potential there that it might be owned by Rebellion because it started in battle and it didn't go over to New Eagle until a merger usually the stuff that Rebellion um, picked up uh, pre-merger means that they own it so it's potential the potential there is that Rebellion owns Stormforce we can maybe find out about that um, but certainly yeah. you know Action Force is, uh, is obviously tied up in the Action Man brand and obviously a bit more problematic I'd imagine to reprint I would imagine Action Force would be a rights nightmare. I, I agree. I think you're right. I think they would have to negotiate with a number of parties. But I suspect you're on the money with Stormforce. Um, yeah, so you never know. We might see that as a reprint, hopefully. Or maybe the characters will pop up in some of that kind of, you know, world that they're building uh, at Rebellion and, and the Treasury of British Comics uh, at the moment. So we'll, we'll keep our eyes peeled, you know, see if any familiar faces pop up uh, yes which would be great you know but yeah if you can track down the original um battle action force uh comics and there are batches of them turn up on ebay and there are some examples online that you could have a look at if you're curious if you if it passed you by first time there's some fantastic comics and there are some fantastic work by some amazing creators and uh and it definitely deserves a, a new audience i think whether or not you're into um action force or not well, yeah, um, I think it will appeal to um, young readers these days who are still into a lot of things we were into. Transformers is still very big. Star Wars is still very big. Masters of the Universe. Isn't it funny? It's all the things coming back from the 80s that we enjoyed. So, um, yeah, I think there would be a definite readership for that. Yeah, that, I think that is interesting. I think the, the generation coming through or people who are in the position to, to create these shows and to create these new comics... 
are people who grew up with with, with the, the, the wide diversity of comics that, that we did and they're starting to come back in slightly different forms sometimes which is which is good because you do need to you do need to to to, to change the the pitch of it sometimes. I suppose the Roy the Rovers uh, reboot is a good example of that. I mean, I'm a kind of hardcore original Roy the Rovers fan, you know, and I was deeply sceptical when they spoke about rebooting the story, you know, and I have to say I've been really enjoying the new rebooted uh, Roy the Rovers story, so there's no reason why that couldn't, you couldn't extrapolate that across other characters and other comics. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the great characters never die, do they? When you look at characters like James Bond, they're just reinvented constantly. So I think if you have a good character, it can be reinvented for a new age and gain a new audience. Well, that brings us up to date, I suppose, uh, with uh, your contemporary choice. And this is one comic I'm not particularly aware of. So maybe you could talk us through this and how, how you came about this choice. Well, this is a comic which there's been a couple of issues of at the time of recording. Um, I think they're going to do four altogether, so I guess the whole set will have been released by the time um, this is coming out. Um, it's called, great title, Megatronic Battle Rabbit. Um <laughs> As I said to you um, before we started recording, the title alone sells it to you. You're instantly intrigued. What is a Megatronic Battle Rabbit? Um, it's done by a company called Fair Spark Books, uh, and it um, is about a schoolboy, Dexter Draper, who reads comics. Sounds familiar. Um, probably a schoolboy like many of us were. He, he reads comics and he's into um, UFOs and dreams of far-off galaxies. And one day, um, a spaceship crashes and um, Dexter finds a giant rabbit in his shed. Are you intrigued yet, Phil? <laughs> yeah, I am, actually. It's a, it's a good pitch. It's, it's what we call an Uber pitch. We get our students to do that sometimes. <laughs> yeah, it um, it is... E.T. with a rabbit, basically. Um, so this character, uh, this giant rabbit, um, lands, um, as I say, and ends up in Dexter's shed. And he befriends the rabbit. And um, some government agents, who I guess are a little bit like uh, Mulder and Scully, um, they're called Priscilla Parker and Gerald Boyce, they um, investigate weird and odd things and they um, have been intrigued by this spaceship crashing and want to find out more. So they um, are on the tail, literally, <laughs> of the Megatronic <laughs> Battle Rabbit. I mean, it's uh, it's quite a striking design, the rabbit, when, when, when he, he makes an appearance and... Uh... The artwork is quite nice and an open artwork, open line artwork, and uh, nice cover. So it's got a very contemporary feel, and it's it's quite a jump from your first choice, I would say. Yeah, well, um, it kind of um, is a good contrast because um, I think I just found out about it from a posting on Facebook or Twitter. So it sort of illustrates quite nicely the different ways in which you find out about projects these days. Um, I um, 
was following a chap called Stu Perrins on Twitter, and um, Stu is the writer of, of this. Um, so that got me intrigued, and um, I actually I bought the PDF copies. They had um, a sale on World Book Day, 50% off. So it was some ridiculously cheap price. I think it was about £1.50 for each issue. Um, it's a no-brainer, isn't it, yeah, when you've got good offers like that? Um, I think that's a great thing about comics these days, the different ways you can access them. You can buy the printed copy. You can buy the PDF. Um, you know, we obviously um, want to support printed comics of the old kind, but it's really nice that there's different ways that younger readers can access the material. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I'm familiar with the 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 the, the, the publishing company uh, Fair Spark Books because they've, they've had a bit of publicity around this uh, how to make comics uh, with Springworth book, and that's been popping up on my feed quite a lot. So, that so the the actual uh, publisher was on my radar, but not this uh, particular book. Um, but it's certainly <laughs> talking about it, and this has happened a few times in, in the podcast. You know, it's like oh, it's, it's 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 sparked my interest. You know, uh, and uh, from what I've seen of it online, uh, I really like the, the 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 premise of this, and I really like the the the, the look and feel of of, of the characters because it is it is quite different. There's a you know, like you say, there's a bit of an element of ET in there, but it's it's a bit more dynamic than that. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned the artwork; it, it is colourful. It's fun, it's imaginative, um, and also um, I was sort of drawn in by the character of the young boy because he's very much a boy who feels different, he feels he's one of the weird or odd kids. Um, I think, you know, some of us who grew up uh, reading comics can maybe empathise with that, maybe we weren't the sporty types who were out playing football, we were maybe more shy and more introverted, so, you know, to follow a character like that, who, who does feel a bit different and maybe a bit lonely, and then who meets a character who brings him out of his shell, I think that's a really positive message to put into a comic. Yeah, I mean, I'm actually looking at it. There's an image that, that, that I can see here uh, of, of the boy's bedroom, and he's sitting reading a comic. And on a shelf, there's basically a Millennium Falcon, uh, Jabba the Hutt, and uh, Han Solo action figure. There's an Incredible Hulk, there's Spider Man, and I could see the spaceship from Tintin uh, there. So that kind of gives you a few pointers as to as to what this kid's into. He also has a massive telescope in, in in his room as well, which is part of the part of the plot in a way where he spots you know something uh, from the great beyond, uh, as it as it says. And I think what's nice about it is it's got a nice flow to the story. It, it's uh, it's uh, it's got some nice uh, storytelling touches uh, from from what I can see. It strikes me as something that would collect together very well. Yes, as I say, I believe there's four issues planned, um, so I shall follow that through, and I suspect we'll see more of this character because it is a fun character. Um, so yeah, it, it's really nice to um, support some of these smaller independent comic publishers, things that you won't necessarily see on the newsstand. Um, but yeah, it, it's all good. So do you think that's because of your own background in you know small press publishing that you feel a bit of empathy with you know small press and uh, and for for getting the the message out there? 
Yeah, I mean, I don't want to overemphasize this. This this is a professional comic, yeah. you know, the, the quality of what they've done. Yeah. But yes, um, I think that is one of the good things about the modern era. There's so many ways that creators can get their work out um, over the internet. Um, you know, printing is cheaper. Um, short print runs can be done. People can take, um, you know, piles of their own fanzines to comics events. So it's just great that there's so many ways that people can access stuff and so many ways that creators can get the material out there so basically what you've said to me is there's there's room to bring back eagle flies again as a digital uh, version of the fancy <laughs> i don't know that we need to because there's so many other um good projects that are um you know covering that material i mean hibernia in a way have have, have picked up the baton um they have been reprinting um material from eagle and they've also been finding lots of rarities from old comics like scream um so i think um that um that side of the market is very well covered um, you've also got a lot of independent websites covering comics like action force you mentioned there's a very good website called bloodforthebaron.com um scream has a good website um back from the depths so i, w I wouldn't actually be inclined to bring eagle flies again back at the moment because i think there's good coverage of, of the comics anyway it was worth a try, you know. <laughs> well, you never know. We, we, we might do a best of. Um, yeah. I mean, on a serious point, um, there, there would probably be rights issues anyway with reproducing pictures from Eagle. So um, I, I don't think it's something we could do immediately anyway. But yeah, there's always comic scene. And, and funnily enough, uh, I've actually written an article which possibly will already be out by now about the new Eagle. Um, yes. Which which probably stood in your toes somewhat, uh, <laughs> but um, well, no, not 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 at all. Um, it, it it it's carrying on the um the tradition of covering um eagle. I, I've sort of um in a way said what I want to say about eagle. So it's really nice to get a different angle from somebody else. Well, it's a very personal perspective. I I, I sort of do a sort of rundown review of the first issue and uh, and yeah, uh, yeah. So it should be in an issue near you quite soon. Um. But yeah, I mean, uh, going back to to your your um your contemporary choice, and uh, I just wonder if you're going to pick up anything else in these creators. If you've done any any research on what else they they've done or what else they're doing, I must admit I've not done huge amounts of research into what they're doing. I, I literally have just cottoned onto this comic very recently, so um, it's definitely um, you know something to keep an eye on. Both both the um, the specific title that I mentioned, the Battle Rabbit, and the other stuff that these guys are doing so for me it's a case of watch this space and um yeah it's good to give them a mention and, and give them a bit of publicity and what we'll do is we'll we'll put some links up uh on the the, the comic scene facebook uh, page uh, for the podcast and we'll, we'll we'll put some of the links uh on there to how you get access uh this the, the these uh, stories and, and these publications from from this publisher because they, they they're doing some fantastic work and, and quite quite different work as well and uh, kind of across you know different genres and you know i think they're they're one to watch definitely that's a it's a, it's a good tip uh ian so yeah I, I i like your 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 second choice so great thanks for that and What's coming up next for you then? What's your plans? Is there anything coming up? Are you going to any shows? Are you going to be writing any more articles? What's the, what's the plans for the immediate future? 
Well, I hope to do more for comic scene. As I said, I'll hopefully cover the 40th anniversary of um, the Doctor Who weekly strip later on in the year. Um, basically, I'm happy to do anything for Tony for the magazine that he wants me to. Um, I'll probably pitch a few more ideas to Doctor Who magazine. Um, the Doctor Appreciation Society has a fanzine which is monthly called Celestial Toy Room. I edit that a couple of times a year as a guest editor. Um, I also do um, a, a column in Fab, which is the magazine of Fanderson. I don't know if you're familiar with that at all. Yes, I, I am actually. Um, that's um, three times a year. Really nice, glossy magazine. It's as, as good as anything you'd find in WH Smith. Yeah, no, the production um, quality that has always been. Yeah, so um, I, I'm continuing to write for that. And I'll just continue to be a fan. I'll just continue to, to read and enjoy comics, both the older stuff and hopefully some of the new stuff as well. Well, I mean, it's kind of great when... I think it kind of comes through in, in your work is that you obviously... Are quite passionate about these uh, these subject areas, and, and that always helps. And it's always great to see that to see that come through. So uh, we look forward to to read more articles and see what else you come up with. And and uh, again, we'll put some links uh, to where you can uh, where you could catch up with some of your your more recent work. Uh, so thanks for joining us uh, today, Ian. And uh, we get to get you back on uh, down the line. We can maybe talk about something more specific next time uh, uh, might tie into an article or it might be something else that, that, that that's happening nearer the time so so thanks for taking the time out and uh, hopefully speak to you soon thanks phil um it's a great podcast and thanks for having me on no problem thanks very much join us next time on comic scene the podcast 